All right. Well, just like uh, just like usual, at the beginning of uh, this week's uh, each me- each week's message, we'll be uh, looking at uh, a little bit from last week, and uh, sometimes even surprisingly, maybe the week before. So, uh, all right. All right. So uh, last week we talked about the myths surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. That was last week's message. So I'm going to ask you some questions to see. And for those of you who weren't here, you can always watch the message online. It's on YouTube. You can see. Did you post it? Yeah, I posted it on Facebook. I think Angel just recently posted it on her Facebook page. I don't know if you saw that. I haven't been online. Yeah. So. It's, it, it's not necessarily crucial to have that message in your head for this week's message, but it would probably be good to listen to it for next week. Okay, uh... So regarding the, the myths surrounding the birth of Jesus, was were Mary and Joseph rejected by like a modern day hotel manager or innkeeper? No, no, okay. Is there any mention of an innkeeper in the Bible? In the story? Sure isn't. Were they trying to get a room at a hotel? No. No. Well, where were they trying to get a room at? Where did you say, Jenna? A guest room. And where's the guest room usually located? The top of a house, a regular house, top of a regular house. We're not talking about a hotel which has all these vacancies, and you come in, you check in at the front desk, and you, the innkeeper either says we have a vacancy or we don't, and you get a key to your room and go check in. We're talking about when they said in back then, and we looked at all the verses regarding this in the book of Acts and, and also in, in Matthew during the Passover, um, that it was an upper room of a house, a regular house, the guest room of a house, I mean, compared to the, the guest room they have here at their house. Yeah, it's a lower room in this house. <laughs> they put their guests in the basement here. <laughs> but uh, they took care of them, though. Uh, okay, so there was no uh, no hotel to go stay at. Uh, was Jesus born in a wooden stable? No. What was he probably born in? That's right. Animals weren't kept in wooden stables back then. They were kept in caves. And we can deduce from the fact that he was laid in a manger, which is a animal feeding trough, that he was probably born where animals stay. How many kings came to visit Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? The zero kings. We know that zero kings came to visit them because kings weren't even mentioned in the story. Uh, it's actually who? Wise men or magi. That's who came to visit Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. Now, where do these magi come from? The east. Do we know exactly where in the east? No. No, but we, we did come up with a couple of ideas of possibly where they came from. Possibly Babylon, right? Babylon. Now, why do we think Babylon? What did you say, John? Daniel. Daniel, that's right. Daniel was in Babylon. He was in captivity. And uh, he was named the chief administrator of the Magi. And I'm sure he didn't use his influence in vain. I mean, he must have taught them the scriptures and used his influence in a positive way to turn these Magi who were uh, practicing occult practices, turn them into godly people who would look at God's creation, the stars, and be interpreters of dreams. Well, Jesus still a baby in a manger when the Magi came to visit no, no, he was a child, different Greek word, the same Greek word used to, uh, to uh, talk about toddler. And was he still living in a cave? No, he was in a house now. So a lot of the stories we see going around and the, you know, the little ornaments we have at Christmas time, the stories we see, um, even some of the songs, the Three Kings song, they're not accurate sometimes. So we need to make sure we're being accurate to the scriptures. Okay, And being that we discussed last week so many myths surrounding the birth of our Lord, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus, it only seemed fitting to discuss the rest of the myths regarding Jesus' birthday. Okay, 
Uh, so today we're going to discuss uh, when Jesus was born. The question of when he was born is one that many would like answered. And I'm not just talking about month and day, December 25th, as some believe he was. I'm also referring to the year he was born. Did you know that, that A.D. stands for Anno Domini, which is Latin and means year of our Lord? You know, when I was growing up, I wasn't told this. I always thought A.D. meant after death, and B.C. meant before Christ. So you got B.C. before Christ, after death, what happened to his life, the 30-something years that were in between? Is there some kind of life in between called D.C. during Christ or something like that? I mean, what happened to that? So there was a lot of confusion for me when I was, when I was growing up of what, where this in-between period went. But when I found out that A.D. means Anno Domini, which means which Latin for year of our Lord, it made more sense to me because now we're not missing any years. Uh, but unfortunately, we're not going to be discussing the year of his birth in this message because that's, that's just a... I've been studying this backwards and forward all week and last week. And uh, I'll tell you, man, to take, talk about that, it's just, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to the year of his birth. Uh, so we're going to try to cover our, our best this t- today about the day he was born, the actual day he was born. And the first place we're going to go is to the Bible, okay? That is really the only place we're going to go. Uh, we're not going to look at any secular sources for information. Uh, I'm going to use the Bible because I know it's reliable. It's God's Word. It's inspired. Um, I could have went, you know, I, if I wanted to talk about the years, but I could have went to secular sources to look at the, you know, the, the years that Ti, you know, Tiberius reigned and Caesar Augustus reigned. I could have probably figured out a little bit from there, but I really want to go to the Bible and see if we can find some clues in the Bible to give us an idea of what day Jesus was born. So let's go to Luke 1 5 first to start out with. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. And that says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So do you see any clues right there in verse 5 that we can use, maybe, to figure out the day that Jesus was born? Anybody see anything? Okay, when Herod, Herod was... But how do we know? We, we can't figure that out from the Bible alone, because the Bible doesn't give us a date on when Herod reigned. But it says Zacharias was of the division of Abijah. Okay? And we're going to go back... Let's go back to First First Chronicles in chapter 24, and you're going to see how this ties in here. And we're also going to go to the Jewish calendar system uh, to see how this all works, to figure this out. Okay? And First Chronicles chapter 24, we'll start in verse 1, and uh, we'll read through verse, verse 10. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. Then David with Zadok and the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar, divided them according to the schedule of their service. There are more leaders found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar were sixteen heads of their father's houses, and eight heads of their father's houses among the sons of Ithamar. So you have sixteen and eight, that's twenty-four altogether. Okay? Thus they were divided by lot, one group as another, for there were officials of the, they were officials, they were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God. 
from the sons of Eleazar, from the sons of Ithamar. And the scribe, Shemaiah, the son of Nathaniel, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king, of, the king, the leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abiathar, and the heads of the father's houses of the priests and Levites. One father's house taken for Eleazar and one for Ithamar. Now it's going to tell you they casted lots. Okay, there's 24 altogether. Now they're going to cast lots to see how they're going to uh, uh, come to administer in the, the temple. Okay? The first lot fell to Jehoarib, the second to Jediah, the third to Haram, the fourth to Sirim, the fifth to Melchizedek, the sixth to Mejimin, the seventh to Hekaz, the seventh to the eighth to Abijah. So we have we're going to stop right there at Abijah. I'm not going to read through all those names and, and chop them up anymore. But uh, you have at the eighth week. The eighth division was Abijah. So each one of these, these divisions of the priests, there's 24 altogether, would serve for one week in the temple. And they would go in this order, 24. Okay? Uh, now, in the, in the Jewish calendar, there's about uh, 51 weeks. Okay? Question? So they split it up, they each had a week, and then they came back around for the next week. Right, so they had, they had 24 altogether. Okay, 51 weeks, about 51 weeks in the Jewish year. All right? And so they would serve for 20, they serve, each one would serve for one week by themselves as a group, a division of the priests, whoever came from this lineage. Now, Zacharias is from Abijah, so he would serve in the eighth week. But also, there's three weeks during the year in which all the priests would serve. Okay, these are the main festivals. You have uh, Pentecost, which is. Nisan. Nisan is the. In fact, let me pass these out before I go any further, so you can guys can kind of follow along with the calendar here. Uh, this is the Jewish calendar on the top there, and you can find the order of the Jewish priests on the bottom. And to kind of, I mean, I go through a visor here just so you can see for yourself. Yeah, about fifty-one weeks. Okay, so about 51 weeks, and uh, I'm going to show you here from the from what I just gave you how they're divided up. Okay. So at the top of this handout I just gave you, you see the Jewish calendar. You see the Hebrew word, the number of month that is to the only to the left, the Hebrew word for the month, then the English transliteration of that month. So the first month is called Nisan. It's 30 days in length, and it, it corresponds with our March and April. Okay? Um, so you have, if you go down to the bottom part, is the order of the Jewish priest. You see uh, it breaks down the first month, Nisan, the second month of Er, and the third month of Savan. And you see uh, who served each week. The first week was the first uh, division of the priests, then the second division. And then the third week, all the priests came and served in the temple. And that didn't count as your week. If you're the third person up, it didn't count as your week. So you, the fourth week starts back to the third group again. And the second month, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, the, seventh, the third month, the first week you have all priests again for Pentecost. And then it goes on and continues from seven to eight now. So Abijah would have served in the second week of the third month on the Jewish calendar. Okay? Uh, so that's how we're, where we have him serving. Now, in the Jewish calendar, there's also something, uh, if you look at the, the top part again, you see there's two twelves. That can be kind of confusing. Uh, in the Jewish calendar, it has something called a leap year. Now, in our leap year, we had one day. 
But we have a calendar that's 52 weeks long. Okay? Their calendar is 51 weeks long, so they have a leap month. Okay? So every two or three years, they add a whole month. So the actual, the bottom 12 you see here called ADAR would actually be called ADAR 2 during the leap years, and it would add a month right before that, in between the original 11 and 12. So in a period of about 19 years, you see leap years seven times. So every two to three years, you see a leap year, and you just kind of add a whole month to the calendar. Okay? But we're not going that far because, as you see, Abijah served before the leap month comes along. Okay? Before the leap year, before that month comes along. And he would actually serve a second time again before that. So that, that month doesn't affect Abijah at all. The, the, the course, we're, the, the division of the priest that we're dealing with here. Okay? Um, okay, so Zechariah's division, Abijah was the eighth division. And being in the eighth division meant that he served during the second week of the third month of the Jewish calendar. This is when Zacharias, when he lots were cast, and he would have served in the temple, and Gabriel would have spoken to him during this second week of the third month in the Jewish calendar. Now, and he came out as a mute, as we all know, because he didn't, he didn't trust what Gabriel said. He questioned him, even though Gabriel was responding to prayers that Zacharias prayed. You see, in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 13, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, you shall call his name John. Now, Gabriel's coming to answer his prayer, and he still doubts. That's, there's something wrong with that. If you, if you come to God, and you're asking with doubt in your heart, there's something wrong. First of all, you come in with confidence in your heart, and then God answers your prayer, and you're like, you don't believe it happened. There's something wrong with that even more. It reminds me of, of when the, the, all the saints and acts were gathered together to pray for Peter's release, and then he showed up at the door and knocked on the door, and he opened the door and like, slam, and they ran back up the door. So Peter's there, and they didn't believe her. Well, you just prayed for his release. Is God going to answer your prayers or not? So God answered Zacharias' prayers. So even though he came out as a mute, he continued serving until the week was over. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 23. It says, so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she did hide herself. She hid herself five months, saying, As the Lord has dealt with me, and the days when he looked on me, and take away my reproach among people. So, he completed his service. So, he went to the end of the second week. He travels home. So, now we're, we're allowing some time for travel, for him to get home, to recover from his travel times. And by the end of the third week, we're going to say now, by the end of the third week, John the Baptist has been conceived. That's what we're going to say here, okay? Uh, so, Mary, let's see, so but Mary, the mother of Jesus, and relative Elizabeth, found out about Elizabeth's pregnancy and the, from the angel Gabriel. So we see in verse 26, but now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So, so now we have uh, not only Elizabeth being pregnant now for five months, and then in the sixth month, Gabriel comes to Mary and, and announces to her the pregnancy of her relative, Elizabeth. Okay? Uh, and it says the sixth month here in verse 26. Some people think it means the sixth month of the Jewish calendar, but I think verse 36 clarifies that. It says, Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So she's six months pregnant as Gabriel comes to announce to Mary your relative is pregnant. Okay? Uh, and Mary, of course, uh, you see in verse 39 and 40, she went to visit Elizabeth. 
and stayed there for three months, as verses 56 and 57 say of Luke chapter 1. Okay? And then she left to go back home. So she stayed for almost a whole pregnancy, to the very end of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. She got there about the six-month mark and stayed almost to the very end. We don't know if she was there at the end or not. We just know that it says in verse 56 she returned to her house. And then in verse 57, if we're going chronologically here, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So it's possible that Mary left right before John the Baptist was born. So, if John was conceived shortly after the third Sabbath in Savon, the third month of the Jewish calendar, remember, giving about a travel time, time to, re- to recover from everything he's been through, and then he conceives with his wife, uh, right about this third Sabbath in Savon, the third month of the Jewish calendar, he would have been born at the end of the first week, or at the beginning of the second week of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar. Is that, cause we're, and now I'm, I'm assuming that she had a normal pregnancy. Now, a normal pregnancy is about 40 weeks, which is equal to 280 days. Okay? So, let's, let's go ahead and count this through. Look at your calendar for a minute with me, the top part of your hand I just gave you. Okay? And we're going to kind of count this through. So, we take the last week of Savon that's still left when he's conceived. That's seven days still left in Savon. And just add the numbers of days from each month following. We add the uh, uh, 29 days of Tammuz, 30 days of Ev, 29 days of Elah. So, we go all the way down and we add all the months up to Adar. And after we add up all the months up to the end of Adar, we're up to 272 days. Okay, you can do the math yourself later if you want to. But that leaves eight days left, all to be in the month of Nisan. Okay, so that means that if she had a normal pregnancy, and if he was conceived at uh, about the beginning of the third Sabbath, then he would have been born on the eighth of Nisan. And that's all based on the fact, of course, that Elizabeth's pregnancy was a normal one. Uh, and that seems to be what the case is, as we look in Luke chapter chapter uh, chapter 1 here. It looks like it was a normal pregnancy, from what we can tell. Uh, John would have been born around the beginning to the middle of the month of Nisan. And this would have been around the Passover festival, which is the 15th of Nisan, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you know the interesting thing about this, my studying of this, I found out the Jewish people, even today, set out a special cup, a special goblet of wine, during the Passover meal in anticipation of the arrival of Elijah that week, which is based upon the prophecy in Malachi 4. So, John the Baptist was born right around Passover, right before Passover, and when did they get circumcised? The eighth day. So if he's born on the seventh day, or the eighth day, he would have circumcised on the sixteenth day, which was right after the start of Passover, and they're leaving out a goblet of wine for Elijah. Now let's look at Malachi 4, 5, and just kind of clarify what this uh, prophecy says here. Malachi 4, 5. And we can, say, we can see from Malachi 4, 1, this is talking about the very end. It's talking about Judgment Day. It mentions a burning like an oven. All who are proud will be stubble. Uh, so this is talking about the very end here, when Christ, Christ comes back. And in verse 5 it says, of Malachi 4, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So the, the, the Jews, based upon this prophecy, leave out a special cup of wine during the Passover meal because they're anticipating Elijah coming to uh, have fellowship with them. But we know that, that John the Baptist wasn't literally Elijah, okay, um, who will come before the great, the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, because that's the very end. And John the Baptist didn't come at the very end. So Malachi 4 5 is a double fulfillment. And uh, one, one of the fulfillments is symbolic, and one is literal. 
Uh, listen to what the angel Gabriel said to John the Baptist's father in Luke one seventeen, talking about John the Baptist, his son. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, in Luke one seventeen, the angel Gabriel, speaking to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, talking about John the Baptist, says that he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. But when John the Baptist was asked whether he was Elijah or not by some Jewish priests and Levites, in John one twenty, he said, I am not. So, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he's not Elijah. And this clarifies what Jesus said in Matthew 17, verses 10 through 13, which says, And his disciples asked him, asked Jesus, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. The disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he was Elijah who did come. He's also one who will come. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he was literally Elijah himself. So, the interesting thing about this whole thing is that leaving this cup of wine out for Elijah, the Passover meal, John the Baptist was born right before the Passover. He comes to get circumcised right about the Passover. And... Yet it says, yet, yet the, the angel Gabriel said to John the Baptist, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So he's not the literal Elijah coming. But he is the one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he came right around the time they were expecting the literal Elijah to come. And Jesus said, he has already come. So, that's another way we can distinguish that he wasn't the actual Elijah who was to come, because he won't drink neither wine nor strong. So, so John the Baptist would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, had been born during the Passover festival, right around it, and the Jews leave a special cup of, uh, out for Elijah during the time, that this Elijah shall never drink wine. And it kind of makes you wonder whether the real Elijah, who will come in the last days as one of the witnesses, two witnesses talked about in Revelation 11, if he'll come during the Passover. It makes you wonder, because... God is always fulfilling these things that Jews, traditions Jews have themselves, to kind of show them the facts, to show them the truth, to wake them up, to listen. I'm, I'm right here, and you're missed. I'm doing something. Wake up to the truth. So, if we go back to when Elizabeth was only six months pregnant, we can count ahead uh, 280 days from there to get the possible birth date of Jesus. Okay, because Mary, remember, Mary... Jesus was conceived within Mary, that Gabriel came to Mary when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. So we count for from there 280 days we can possibly get the birth date of Jesus. Okay? We would do this because Elizabeth was six months pregnant when the angel spoke to Gabriel. Okay, Elizabeth would have been six months pregnant just after the third Sabbath in Kislev, which is the ninth month, the ninth month in the Jewish calendar. So the ninth month in the Jewish calendar, uh, just after the uh, and just after the, let's see, it's, it's right around the Jewish festival, that's towards the end of Kislev, which is the first day of Hanukkah, okay? So the first day of Hanukkah is the 25th day of Kislev, all right? Is it possible Jesus could have been conceived on this day? It's possible, because, you know, in, in my experience of, of looking through these Jewish festivals and 
how God's worked in history. He doesn't do anything by accident. Anything at all by accident. But Hanukkah, what Hanukkah does, it marks the, the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem after it was desecrated by the forces of the king of, of Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes. And according to the Talmud, this is what happened uh, when the, the temple was rededicated after it was defiled. Uh, they only had enough oil, consecrated olive oil, to fuel the eternal flame in the temple for one day. But miraculously, the oil burned for eight days, which was the length of time that they needed to press, prepare, and consecrate fresh olive oil. That's why you see on the Jewish menorah, how many candles are there? There's eight. So they're doing this to celebrate this miracle that, according to tradition, happened during the, second, the, the rededication of the second temple after it desecrated by, uh, by Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of Syria, and his, and his army. So, and since Jesus calls himself the light of the world, in John 8.12, and John 9.5, and John 12.46, it is definitely possible in my mind that he was conceived during the first day of Hanukkah. It makes sense. So, it's, like I said, from my experience, God doesn't do anything by accident, so I believe Jesus could very well have been conceived at the beginning of Hanukkah. But let's just, let's just run with that for it. Let's just say he was conceived on the first day of Hanukkah, the ninth month of the Jewish calendar, Kislev, the 25th day. And now we have about five days left in Kislev. Okay? And let's count forward from there. We add the next month and the next month and the next all the way up to uh, the sixth month. We add all those months together. And now we have 270 days. Now how many days is a woman in normal birth? Or pregnant? 280 days. So now we have 10 days left for the month of Tishri, which is the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. And guess what Jewish festival on the 10th day of Tishri? Anyone want to guess? Yom Kippur, which is also called the Day of Atonement. So it's actually possible, if all of these figurings are, are correct, that he was born on the Day of Atonement. Jesus Christ was born on the Day of Atonement. So, but what does that mean for our calendar? What day was he born on our calendar? Well, that's a good question. Uh, that depends on the year he was born. Because the Jewish calendar does not, you know, like I said, we have these leap years with these whole months added onto it, so it kind of messes with our calendar a little bit. But uh, let's just, there's a lot of people who I've read on this, this issue uh, who believe he was born in 3 BC. And that's possible. I'm, I'm not completely convinced of it just yet, but it's possible. Let's, let's just say he was for a second. If he was born in 3 BC, then he would have been born on September 21st, 3 BC. Okay? If it was 3 BC. According to our calendar. Our calendar would match up with the 10th of Tishri in 3 B.C. It would be September 21st, 3 B.C. Now, I know this because you know, there's no, I couldn't find a converter anywhere online that goes back before year one. I found it goes back to year one, but I couldn't get one that goes before year one. So, uh, the only way I know it's 21st is because a reliable source calculated Tishri 1 to be September 12th, 3 B.C. So, you add nine days to get Tishri 10, and you add 9 days to 12th, get September 21st. But even if that year is wrong, even if 3 BC is wrong, we can say that he was at least born either in the second half of September or the first half of October in our calendar, no matter what year he was born. In fact, I used a Hebrew to, to our calendar converter online and checked about 40 years, for the last 40 years, 
And the last 40 years, uh, Tishri 10 falls in just about every day between September 15th and October 13th. In 40 years, the last 40 years. So I think we can say uh, conclusively, without being completely conclusive, that uh, I, I believe Jesus might have been born on Tishri 10, which would have been September 21st, 3 BC, but we do know for sure that he was born somewhere between September 15th and October 13th on our calendar. So, uh, my conclusion about Jesus' birthday is that we can't be completely conclusive about it. And what does that tell us? What do you think that tells us? I mean, if, if God wanted us to know exactly when Jesus was born, do you think he would have made it clear for us? Sure. <laughs> I mean, God doesn't have a problem communicating with his creation. Uh, he can be completely upfront about these things. Uh, maybe we weren't meant to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Maybe that's it. Uh, not that the modern day form of Christmas does that anyway. But we do know for sure that Jesus was not born December 25th. We know that for a fact. I know that in my mind about it. After all the studying I've done on this for the last couple of weeks. Uh, for most families, Christmas is a time to be on vacation from school and work, to put up a decorated tree in the house, to decorate the outside of your house, and most of all, to be covetous. That's what Christmas is all. That's what modern day Christmas is all about to most families. Uh, if God did want to celebrate the birth of His Son, I'm pretty sure that He wouldn't want to celebrate in that form. Okay. What, you know, what did the early church think about this issue? Maybe church history can help us with the issue of celebrating Jesus' birthday. Well, let's take a look at what the early church thought about this issue. That's it. They didn't say anything about it. Which tells us a lot, because if they're not mentioning the birth of Jesus, they weren't celebrating the birth of Jesus. Uh, and none of the early church fathers who listed special festivals or special holidays ever listed Jesus' birthday in the, in, as one of those holidays. And Christmas being celebrated as December 25th was not around until around the early mid-4th century in very small amounts. About 336 A.D., I believe, is when it first started. And it wasn't until A.D. 440 that Christmas was officially celebrated by the church and it was celebrated on December 25th. But even then, it was on December 25th, not, not because of some biblical or historical evidence, to point them to December 25th being Jesus' birthday. It was on December 25th because that was the last day of the pagan holiday named Saturnalia. That's why it was done then. They're trying to overtake a pagan holiday. At the very end, it was a very wicked pagan holiday. I read a little bit on last, uh, last night online. It's horrible. Saturnalia. And it was from September, December 17th to the 25th, I believe. About a week long. Uh, Saturn. S-A-T-U-R-N. A-L-I-A. And during this festival, uh, people would get drunk a lot. They would indulge sexually. Uh, they go around house to house singing, naked. But they would sing. That's, that's a precursor to our, our modern-day caroling. Um, they would eat cookies and bread in the shapes of humans. There'd be animal sacrifice. All kinds of wicked things involved in it. So they were kind of just trying to take over this holiday. It didn't turn out very well. It just kept on going the way it was. So, uh, but a lot of it is a precursor to what we have today known as Christmas, a lot of things we do. 
you know, the gingerbread men cookies and the Christmas trees and the people getting drunk and and all kinds of wickedness involved in people in, who are living in sin will use any, get any excuse they can to, to have a day of wickedness. Uh, they would even take a person in their each community, take a person in the community who they didn't like, and they they basically forced them. The whole community would force them to eat and drink and get involved in all kinds of sin. Then they would kill them at the end. Yeah, that's what they would do on December twenty fifth, at the very end of the of the festival. And uh, during this festival, during this period of time, honestly, have a lot of festival I've been to to preach at. Uh, the police would not arrest anyone for damage to property or for violence to anybody. That's what happened during this festival. Unless you have like Mardi Gras or Belshire, they kind of just relax the rules and let you do whatever you want. So, does it matter what day Jesus was born, or, and, and should we celebrate his birthday? Well, it definitely isn't a biblical mandated or even a historically mandated early church celebration. Do we have the freedom to celebrate his birthday if we want to? Well, yeah. yeah. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't celebrate his birthday. Uh, there's no restrictions on the Word of God if we want to celebrate his birthday. But if we do celebrate his birthday, it should be done in a godly and a reverent way. Not the way we see the world doing it. Decorated trees, decorated houses, getting lots of gifts, spending lots of money, getting into lots of credit card debt, eating lots of food, being covetous, writing letters to Santa, lying to our children about Santa, watching lots of football definitely should not be the focus of celebrating Jesus' birthday. Now, decorating a tree or a house, giving or receiving gifts, aren't sinful in of themselves by any means. But what do those things have to do with the birthday of Jesus? Now, some might be able to say that, you know, if we're talking about the king's coming, there are three kings coming, and they came on the actual day Jesus was born, which he wasn't, according to the Bible, and they give gifts, then we have this idea we can give gifts and receive gifts. Or God came and gave his son as the greatest gift to the world, therefore we're supposed to give gifts. But if God came to give the, the greatest gift in the world his son, shouldn't we be trying to give him to other people? It says giving him physical, material gifts that are going to moth and rustle destroy and will wash away and they can't help get into a, a better place in eternity? That's going to be the better focus. I think it's about time that godly Christian families who desire to celebrate the birth of Jesus, do so differently from the world around them. Think about new and improved traditions for your family. Or just don't celebrate it at all. It wouldn't kill us. I mean, I've been raised for 25, 30 years celebrating the birth of Jesus the way the world does it. And it becomes hard every time I go back to my family and they, they're celebrating the same way still for me to be involved in it when it has, really has nothing to do with Jesus for the most part. But it's time to start making new traditions, if we're going to have any traditions at all about the birth of Jesus. So, I think from my study of this and from praying about this, I think God just spoke to my heart that, you know, obviously he doesn't want us to know the exact day. And if he did, he would have made it very, very clear. He has no problem making dates clear. He had no problem making the 24 divisions clear on his U.S. calendar. He would have no problem making this clear either. Okay. Uh, that's that's it for now. Uh, you guys have any uh, questions? Yeah. Good, brother. Not you. It's <laughs> okay. Uh, I missed one of the, the uh, scripture verses you gave uh, about the dual prophecy uh, from Luke four seven and Malachi four five. Sure, sure. Uh, Luke Malachi four five, uh -huh. and then uh, let's see. Luke one seventeen yeah. was an angel Gabriel spoke to John about his father. We have John one twenty. Where John the Baptist was asked, is he Elijah? He said, I am not. So he couldn't be the literal Elijah. And then Matthew seventeen ten through 13. So, 
the other question I had was, uh, the ECF of the early church fathers, did they celebrate any of the church Jewish festivals? Did you find any of that? Yes, they did. Which ones did they celebrate, or all of them? Uh, they celebrated Passover. Uh-huh. I know that. Um, I think they celebrated Pentecost. Right. I'm not so sure they celebrated... Uh, Festival of Tabernacles, which is the one that was, which actually I didn't mention this, but that was right after Jesus. If Jesus was born on, Pente- on uh, Passover, that's right after Jesus was born. The Feast of Tabernacles, and Tabernacle means dwelt with, and Jesus is God with us, and he would have been circumcised on the eighth day, which means he would have came out during that festival to be circumcised, which is when Jesus came, God in the flesh came to dwell with men. All the priests have been serving during this three week period of all Right. All, ever, all the priests would have been, in fact, just about everyone would have been in that, the Jerusalem, right. so when Jesus came out to get circumcised. If we were going in, in an attempt to try and uh, duplicate those festivals, we would spend three weeks at least examining the festivals and what they were about, and not maybe not even trying to imitate them or anything, because certainly we probably couldn't do it accurately, but um, at least trying to examine what the festivals were, were about during that three-week time period, right. the Jewish were celebrating... Uh, Yom Kippur, uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, Hanukkah, all these different things, and then kind of trying to correlate with these passages out of the Bible. Is that a good summation? Yeah, I, I think a, a good thing to do, and I've been thinking about this, would be to, if we're thinking about celebrating some of the biblical festivals, not because we're trying to be Jewish or have to do with our salvation or anything like that, but it's because we decide we want to celebrate those things. And there is one festival, I can't remember, I think it's the Festival of Tabernacles, it's the eternal one, which will be celebrated in the New Kingdom. Because God is now dwelling with men for good. Uh, so if that's going to be celebrated in turn, why not get used to it now? Uh, would, it would be a good thing to do would be to take the Jewish calendar and see when those festivals line up with our calendar and do a topical study during that period of time for each festival. And then once we understand it, we can decide the next year comes around if we want to celebrate it or not. Yes? Yeah. Another thing that uh, adds to the uh, uh, opaqueness of coming up with any kind of a date is two things is uh, the Jews uh, used a different type of uh, uh, counting that we use. Uh, they didn't have a value for zero. So there's a difference between inclusive and exclusive reckoning. So when they say someone was one year old, uh, they would say that about a baby that was just born. Right. It's someone who's in between the birth and the first right. year. And they would say right. that about days. Like if I would say this is the fifth day of the month, it, would, it could actually just be the, the very morning of the fifth day of the yeah. month. And they would count that as the entire day. Right. All my calculations that I figured out for this message are based upon our way of counting. Right. They're not based upon the Jewish way of counting. So when it says Elizabeth is six months pregnant, I'm assuming she's she's right in her sixth month. She's not in her fifth month, you know, counting up. She's actually in her sixth month. So that would figure in as well. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't I didn't start at Passover and work backwards. I was figuring all this stuff out and actually just came to Passover. Uh, I find that kind of ironic. I don't know if that's you know I don't know if that means anything, uh, but I think God has these festivals for a reason. And um, I also looked at some of the astronomy about this issue and looked at Revelation chapter twelve. And uh, personally, I'm not impressed by any of the astronomy I found and looked at. And I actually downloaded a program that I can look at three BC and see when old people are saying he's born if these constellations are lining up the way they're saying it is. And I'm just I'm just not seeing it. So uh, astronomy sometimes, which is God's creation. God put it in place the way he wanted to. That can show us things at times, too. Uh, but I'm not, I, I, there's other people who come up, like some, someone came up with uh, Tishri 1. 
of 3 B.C., which is actually supposedly the very day that creation started. It's called Rosh Hashanah. They celebrate the creation of the world. And someone said that Jesus was born on that day, which that would have been interesting too. And I look at the astronomical record for that, and it, it's, it's, it's not as uh, convincing as I thought it would be. Uh, but even Revelation 12, I'm not convinced that that's even talking about Mary and Jesus. You know, because through our study of Revelation, we thought that was, that, that woman was talking about uh, Sarah, not Mary. So, On this order of Jewish priests, yeah. you've got 12 weeks there. Mm-hmm. Is there a Feast of the Unleavened Bread in Pentecost every 12 weeks? No, no that's, that's only in that month. That month every year, that month and that week every year. And then there's one other festival later on in the year. Uh, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, which they're all there for. So I didn't give you the whole breakdown for the whole year. Okay. But, you know, the, uh, they would, so there's 51 weeks, and there's three weeks where they're all serving. That means they, in a normal Jewish year, you're serving twice, exactly twice. Uh, now, when they add a month to it, of course, the first four groups would serve a third time during that year. But they're, all, they're the only groups that, so Abijah wouldn't be affected by that. Um, now, if, if... Four years. Right. Well, no, that's not every four years. It's uh, seven times every 19 years, about. So every two to three years. And, and it's, it's all based upon the, the priests going out to the fields and looking at the seasons. What they're trying to do by adding on is keep up with the seasons. It's a lunar, lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. This is really related to last week. But how did Elizabeth know the child's name was going to be John? Oh, Gabriel told Zacharias the name of that. But he wasn't able to speak and tell her, so he had to write it down or something. Yeah, he wrote it down. Yep, he wrote it down. That's what it says. Oh, okay. Yeah, he wrote it down. As soon as he wrote it down, that's that's when he could speak and he said it. Yeah. Well, he did tell her, but her relatives were trying to pressure her into naming something that was a you know, family name. Um, it says, uh, okay, it says, uh, it says, what well, doesn't say he wrote it down, but he made signs. Well, he did write it down. Verse 62 of Luke 1. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called, and he asked for a writing tab and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. So, yeah, but it's obviously she already knew because she was trying to name him John. The relatives in verse 61 said, there's no one among your relatives who is called by, by this name. That's when they turned to the father to get his input on it. And they made the significance of Elijah coming back. How, I mean, I don't understand how they would think someone who was already dead is going to come back. Well, he was taken up in a whirlwind. He wasn't, right. he wasn't right. So he never died. Yeah, I mean, he didn't literally die, but he's removed. Right. He's removed for a period of time. He would come back. Uh, but he never died a physical death. But when he comes back as a witness in Revelation 11, he will die. He does die then. Where is he all this time? I don't know. He's up in a world when he's up with God. So I don't. I, I, we, transfiguration too. So yeah. also a God who is supernatural can do these things. Yeah, we don't really. I don't think we have any. any I, I could be wrong. But I don't think we have a record about when Moses died either. Uh, they just said. It, I think they said. I think they might have said they buried him. I'm not sure. Right, and then also Enoch didn't die. So uh, you know, if 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 we're going to say that the two witnesses, and we went through this in a Revelation study, that uh, that it's two people who didn't die, those are the three options we have to start with. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I think, just based on Malachi 4.5, he's going to come back in the end. And it's talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord to turn the hearts of the fathers back to him. So he's, he's coming to turn the Jews back to Jesus. Uh, he was their, like, their greatest prophet. Did kind of, all kinds of things that, that no one else did. And then in, a lot, in Revelation, you see him doing all kinds of things that, that no one else did either. All kinds of uh, miraculous things in Revelation. So there's lots of people who think that the second witness is John the Apostle. Some think it's Moses. Some think it's Enoch. You know, there's all different kinds of... But almost everyone is, is conclusive on the fact that, that Elijah is at least one of them. So... You start calling on plagues and fire, then you really have to suppress the truth and unrighteousness to reject that. But just like the Bible says, you know, a wicked and personary snatch for a sign, then God gives them one, and they still don't believe. Like the people who Jesus fed in the 5,000. They still didn't believe. Walked away from him. Because they gave him a couple of hard sayings. They still walked away. And then they crucified him later on. So, signs don't do it, but they can help. Alright, anything else anyone wants to add? Objections or questions? Anything else? All the children understood everything? Deers <laughs> <laughs> and headlight look? Okay. <laughs> okay, that's it.